We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Cheryl Brederson with Jasmine Allnut. Jasmine, why are we here? Well, Cheryl, we're here because we want to share with you some women worth knowing. Right. <laughs> but I am on part two of a rather controversial Oh, woman. yes. That doesn't mean she's not worth knowing, though. No. She definitely is. In fact, it's kind of wise to know. Yes. And I think sometimes if someone's not perfect, we dismiss them. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely a very imperfect woman. She yes. has some real <laughs> issues. I'm talking about Anna Spafford, mm-hmm. um, Horatio Spafford's wife. And yet, um, in the end, you're going to see how God actually used her for good, mm. even with all of her crazy notions, and uh, and she did get off. So let me do just a little bit of a— um, like a little recap. Recap, yeah. exactly. So Anna um, Spafford was born in Norway. She migrated to Chicago, right. and her mother and her little brother succumbed to— cholera. They died because of all the pollution. Her father then sent for his other children. He had older children from his first wife. They came over, Rachel and an older brother. I can't remember his name of Anna Spafford. They came over and the father decided to move to Michigan. And by this time, Anna's about 16. They moved to Michigan. To make a long story short, she comes back. She's an avowed atheist living in Chicago at 16 years old. She meets Horatio Spafford, he's her Sunday school teacher. He falls immediately in love. He is smitten, doesn't realize she's only 16 years old. Uh, When he realizes it, he sends her to finishing school because she's really smart and she finishes her education. Now, we never hear of her fully committing her life to Jesus, which is very, very interesting. And she was an atheist when he met her, right? She was an atheist, right? But then what happens is they get married and he appears very successful because he's a lawyer and everything seems successful on the outside. They have four girls, but really what's going on is he's having terrible financial problems. And what he's done is he's heavily invested money that was entrusted to him to safeguard. And he's invested it in properties that he shouldn't have. Chicago fire hits. Mm. He loses everyone's investments, but he doesn't tell anyone. Sends Anna off on this cruise to France. And on that cruise, um, while she's on this ship, the ship is hit by a little Scottish uh, vessel called the Loch Urn. And it sinks the ship that she's on, and she alone is saved. Her daughters die, and she goes on to London where Horatio meets her, and she doesn't cry. She doesn't mourn. In yeah. fact, we were talking a little bit about how we think that was part of the problem yeah, is that she never— healthy. Yeah, unhealthy. Right. It was so unhealthy. So she goes back to Chicago. She has a son, and then she has a daughter— And the son, when he's three years old, catches a fever. He's Horatio Jr., and he dies. And her life is filled with so much pain, but she won't admit pain. Whenever anyone asks her or Horatio, they say, you know, our children are with the Lord. Everything's good. Our children with the Lord. And again, Horatio finally tells Anna about their financial problems right about this time and that they're going to lose their house, which has been her only security because she grew up poor. So she is hyper-focused on going to Jerusalem because Horatio by this time has gotten really off doctrinally. And he's he's just like mixing 
all the Bible prophecy together in kind of like a great big cauldron <laughs> and just coming up with whatever soup that he wants. Did, did he start from John Nelson Dar- or not Darby, right? He had and, met but he kind Darby. of went weird mm-hmm. from there. But he yeah. kind of like made it his own. Yep, totally. And so he had this idea that Jesus was coming at any moment. And when Jesus came, he'd bring all those who had died with him. So anyone who wanted to, who had lost someone they loved and wanted to be reunited with somebody they loved and lost, wanted to go to Jerusalem with the Spaffords because they were promising everyone, come meet your dead relatives, you know? And Mm. there was one woman, her name was, um, her last name was Gould. And she wanted to go and she went with, she was an heiress too, but she went with Horatio and Anna because she was hoping that she would see her dead husband again, who she just couldn't get over mourning. So before they left, they had one more little girl, Grace. So now they've got two daughters, Bertha and Grace, and they go with Bertha and Grace to Israel. And once they get to Israel, they go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they rent um, this really, it was considered one of the finer houses, but still it was filthy, dirty. Hmm. And it was near the Damascus Gate. Uh, But I want to say that the uh, Tyropean Valley in Jerusalem stunk. It was where all the sewage drained, and they were still living on the pipes that the Turks had put into Jerusalem. Some of them were Whoa. even Roman pipes. Like they were still depending on that. of years. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> and so what you had is like a great big like sewage pit in this uh, Tyropian Valley, and it just stunk. Uh, apparently, all of Jerusalem stunk uh, for this. And, and the Armenians had just built their houses on top of this. Mm. So their house is stunk too, but it's one of those things, I guess, that everyone just kind of gets used to the smell. Yeah, I guess so. But near the Damascus Gate on the crest of Mount Besitha, and it's the highest point in the old city between the Damascus Gate and Herod's Gate, it's built against the wall with a huge courtyard with white jasmine and geraniums was this house. And it just had this stunning views from the rooftop of all of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, Mount uh, Scopus, the Judean Hills, mm. and overlooked Solomon's quarries. And they were 70 feet below. So this is really a high spot on the wall. Oh. And here's where this house is. And so Anna and these people, they get to this house and they just start improving this house immediately. They start cleaning it. They start you know, scouring all of the um, bazaars of Jerusalem, finding all sorts of furniture. Wow. And apparently they made it just sparkle and shine. But as they're there, and I mentioned this last time, Anna and her sister-in-law are getting in this contest of who has the better prophecies. (laughs) So is it Horatio's sister, Maggie Maggie Lee, or Anna? Who's going to be kind of the head of this, uh, what they called themselves, the overcomers, or this colony of Americans? And so Maggie Lee one time is getting a prophecy, and Anna starts like like squinting really bad as if she's looking at this incredibly bright light. (laughs) And then she gives kind of strange prophecy. And she stuck out her tongue. And every time she would stick out her tongue, it would mean that she was getting a prophecy from God, that God was putting words on her tongue. Oh, wow. And she was about to speak them. Oh, my goodness. Was was Horatio, had he checked out at this point? And he let them was kinda... beginning to check out. Okay. He would go on these long walks, and he was um, never 
never there. Yeah. So Anna then began to kind of take over. Yeah. And she even kind of took over from Maggie Lee. And she began to call herself the bride. And she said, there's only one bride. You're not the bride of Christ. It's not the whole body. She alone was the bride. Wow. And Horatio was the branch. And so she was telling everyone that they had to do whatever Horatio said and what she said. Well, then Horatio is <sighs> checking out more and more. So she's pretty soon the only one who's getting these signs. And she told them they're not to convert Muslims, they're not to seek to convert Jews, uh, but just to invite them because the time for conversion is not yet. Hmm. Well, about this time, too, they, this Sephardic Jew named Jacob comes and he joins them. And he really helps Anna because he speaks the language, but he's he's really rejected by the Jews because he's Sephardic and because he doesn't have kind of a people or relatives. Hmm. And of course, he's not safe among the Muslims. So he kind of joins himself to what became the American colony or the overcomers. And he becomes Anna's right-hand person because he speaks Hebrew and he speaks Arabic. And he really helps her to learn the languages and adjust to life. And she gets very, very close to them. Hmm. Um, At the same time, another uh, man comes into their life, this handsome young pastor. And this handsome young pastor, he comes into it, and Anne is very attracted to him. He's Uh-oh. already married, oh boy. but she's very attracted to him. So she gets up, and she has one of those messages. <laughs> and her message is that they're not allowed to be married, that no wives are allowed to be with the husband, or husbands are allowed to be with the wives. And she just says, you know, they they can't do this. So like, and then she begins to— Like free um, love? Like, mm-hmm. a, okay. And she begins to, Horatio, whenever he speaks, all he does is talk about how evil all the other Christian fellowships are in Jerusalem. And he says they're destitute of spiritual power in their Babylons. And so she and, and he are growing apart anyway. But they had these secret teachings that nobody on the outside, none of the Jews that visited, none of the Muslims that visited, or even any visitors to Jerusalem knew about. They were just secret meetings. Now, they had public prayer meetings, but they had these secret meetings. And these are the meetings in which Horatio might share or Anna might share. And this is the meeting in which she said, you know, no more marriage. So she says, no more marriage. But she's allowed to take up with this young man because, oh, his name is the Reverend... Reverend Herbert Drake. And so she takes up with him. He's handsome. He's married. But nope, he can't be with his wife. And he's fine but, with this. Mm-hmm, but they, Anna is supposed to be absolutely beautiful, too. But they keep disappearing into a room for oh long stretches of gosh. time. And in the meantime, because she and Horatio are drying apart, she um, puts him— what do you say, like on restriction? Nobody's allowed to talk to Horatio or have anything to do with him for 44 days. And what they don't realize is that Horatio has malaria and he's getting sicker and sicker. And so as he's dying and he's very, very sick, Anna begins to dance with her daughter, Bertha, who is 10 years old. And when people ask her what she's doing, she says, I'm excited for Horatio because he's going to go see our children. He's going to where our children are. Wow. So Horatio dies of malaria and he, in 1888, and he's 57 years old. And Anna at this time is 43 years old. And from what everybody said, the one thing about Anna is she's beautiful. I mean, everyone mm. says, oh, she's beautiful. She was so beautiful. And I guess she had these beautiful eyes hmm. that um, everybody 
Um, yeah, it was just drawn to her mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Anna takes over uh, more and more. She's taking over the compound because now there's uh, no Horatio. Uh, but Bertha begins to really work with the Jordanians and the Turks and some of the people around. And so when Bertha, the daughter, is only 19 years old, she's asked to um, set up a school for some of the young Arabic girls to teach them how to read and write. And of course, they can't have men do this because right. there's this huge separation. Yeah. So she sets up this school. She's only 19 years old, and it's really, really successful. In fact, she's the only American woman, non-Arabic woman, to ever get the Jordanian um, star, which is like this high, high honor. How interesting. Only given to somebody who is done something very Very notable very notable right so anyway also at the same time she falls in love with this man named frederick vester and so anna's like nope marriage is prohibited you can't have it so frederick vester courts bertha for 10 years he meets bertha when she's 16 but he courts her for 10 years he just waits and waits for her until the sanction against marriage is lifted but (laughs) While they're waiting, so Anna finally takes off the prohibition so Bertha can marry. And you see more solid, like biblically or anything like that? Not necessarily? Not necessarily. But Bertha has kind of, like I said, taken over. She's taking more and more responsibility um, over the compound. And I also last time talked about these Swedes. Yeah. That when Anna went over to fight to save Lakeview, her house in Chicago, which she wasn't able to save. But when she went over there to try to save the house, she ended up meeting all these Swedes (laughs) that she brought back to the compound or the colony, the American colony in Jerusalem. What's interesting is these Swedes were so industrious. They set up looms. They set up a bakery. They they even bought a steam mill so that they were grinding their own Wow. Flour. Sounds like and yellow dolly. Everybody, yeah, and everybody in Jerusalem wanted to buy that flour. And they set up also a photography studio, which is going to become very important during World War One. that they set up this photography studio. And also they had a blacksmith. And so what happens is when the suites come, um, they also set up, they make the American colony more into like kind of a bed and breakfast place. And mm. because it's so well-established, so well-decorated, a lot of notables want to stay at the American colony or at least come and eat at the American colony. Hmm. You know, at this time, they're becoming solvent. They're able to be self-supportive. But Mm -hmm. also at the same time, the American consulate in Israel is getting all these complaints. But remember, at the American consulate, they're getting all these complaints. They're getting complaints from the relatives in America who's whose brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters are part of the compound. So they're getting complaints that way. They're getting complaints from people who had been in the compound and escaped. Mm. And then all the people that they had owed money to had already put in complaints about this colony, the vendors. And that goes back to when Horatio Horatio, was running the compound and not paying his debts. So now they've got a file. And they said the file, I can't remember how they, they said it was over a foot thick. Of all these complaints. That's disturbing. And everything that was going on with this American colony. About this time, there's this woman named Selma Lagerlof. She's the first woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize for Literature. Oh, wow. She's Swedish. Right. She's Swedish. So she's coming to check on the Swedes, right? Yep. And so she comes and she stays at the compound and she decides she's going to write a book on the compound. 
And she sends to, she's also gay. She brings her gay girlfriend. But Mrs. Wow, Spafford that would have been really in. taboo back yes. then. Yes. And she says, Mrs. Spafford, you are the best looking woman I ever saw to be so wicked. Wow. Not interesting. So wow. She, so this because, was an expose. Mm-hmm. So she Ooh. writes, she writes a story on the American colony. And it wow. is, it is not a good story. So Bertha decides to write her own. So she writes a book and it comes out and I think it was 1919 called uh, Jerusalem. And it's all about the compound and about her, her mother and everything. But hmm. one quick fun fact before we go on to World War One, what happened, because that's fascinating. Hmm. But Charles Gordon, did I say this last time? Oh, you might have mentioned him. Go ahead and- Okay, but yeah, Charles Gordon was like an- he was an archaeologist, but yes. plus he was a English um, soldier. He sat on the rooftop of the American colony, that house, and he was able to see, um, I did, Golgotha and mm-hmm. the Garden Tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, later, he was hacked to death, campaign By of, Turks of the mm-hmm. okay. The Turks hacked him to death wow. in a, uh, one of the English campaigns. So now as we were moving into the World War One time, and at first, you know, it didn't hit you know, Israel. But the Turks were getting um, pretty agitated. Mm-hmm. And the American consulate then went to the compound and they said, we're asking all the Americans to go home and we're going to leave too. And we think it would be best for you to leave. But Anna said, absolutely not. They were not going to leave. They were going to stay no matter what. They had a good relationship with the Turks. But in the meantime, all these Germans begin to arrive mm-hmm. in Israel, which was really upsetting everything. But when the Germans and Turks were allied, so they that were makes allied, sense. Yeah, right? They would come so, in. what happened though is Bertha went to her mother and said, We need to set up a hospital because there's going to be war. We need to be ready for it. So, anyway, sure enough, war, World War I comes and you've got the Brits that are invading, you've got the Turks and the Germans that are trying to fight. And it's all, a lot of this is happening in Jerusalem. Mm. So, Anna. I don't know if you remember this. Anna and Horatio had um, not believed in modern medicine. They thought doctors were evil. The only doctor they had was homeopathic. You know, yeah, they didn't believe in right. medication. In fact, at one point, Anna said that that all death and all sickness was the result of sin. So as long as you kept yourself away from sin, wow. you Job? wouldn't be. So <laughs> she felt like Horatio deserved everything he got. You know, she kind of blamed him for everything. So now, because of Bertha's influence— they they set up the compound as a hospital, so the Turks come to them and they it, 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 the Turks come to them and say only have Germans and the Turks here. In the meantime, the English are coming in and they're putting pressure on them. And they said you shouldn't be helping the Turks and Germans; they're going to lose this. You need to just have English. And interestingly enough, Anna had said we will have whoever's hurt and whoever needs us. Wow! At the same time, they opened up a soup kitchen at the compound. So again, this is the Swedes and all the people who have opened up the soup kitchen and they are serving over 6,000 people a day. They're, wow. they're feeding. And so even when the Brits took over, hmm. and, and again, they survived. The wow. compound was not hit. It was not hurt. And they just, they they somehow maintained good relationships with everybody. In fact, with the mayor of Jerusalem, who was Turkish, wow. um, told Anna he was surrendering the city and the colony might be captured. What she did is she sent uh, one of her son-in-laws out with a camera to take pictures of it. 
And so they were, it was actually the American colony that captured all the pictures of the Turks surrendering to the the British and when the British took over. Just God's mercy to even use them in Mm -hmm. all of their naughtiness. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. But at the same time, um, what you have is you have Bertha becoming this very important woman who is helping the English. And the, the Jews resented her for this because she really helped the English to establish control and told them what. And when Churchill visited England, she was one of the notable guest to help and entertain Churchill at the King David Hotel. And she would give tours to people who were coming and kind of explaining the um, conditions. In the meantime, Grace, her younger daughter, she marries a man— Sorry, Bertha's daughter? Oh, no, Anna's other daughter. Anna's other daughter, Mm -hmm. Grace. So she marries a man named John Whiting. And John Whiting is very important because he actually works for the American consulate. Mm. So this is helping the colony to get a better reputation, so Mm. to speak. And Bertha gets so involved with helping with the British and with education. Um, She even opens a hospital in her mother's name called Anna Spafford Memorial Hospital. Mm. I mean, she is just using the Brits and working with them to get all these things established in Jerusalem. I mean, honestly, she's not very liked it, but she did do a lot of right. good. Right, practical good, yeah. That's right. So and then you've got um, Grace, whose husband is part of the American consulate. So this is, this is really, again, giving some respectability to the American colony. Hmm. So because Bertha gets involved so much in kind of social work and in uh, the community work, in Jerusalem, Grace takes over the compound. And Anna, at 78, is kind of getting like more and more um, eccentric. And, <laughs> As if she wasn't already. <laughs> right. And more and more irrelevant kind of to everything mm, that's going on. Mm-hmm. And she spends most of the day just locked away in her room, supposedly, you know, receiving messages from God. Nobody's really quite sure. So at 78 years old, she begins to have headaches, drowsiness, confusion, anxiety. Mm. And so for a while, she stays at Bertha's, um, but she's getting worse. Um, her eyes are swollen. Um, wow. she suffer- and she suffers at that point a paralyzing stroke on her right side. So it looks like this is it for, you know, Anna. Mm. And... Uh, so Bertha says to her mom, I think you're dying. And she says, nope, she's very delusional. I'm I'm not going to die. I need to get back to the compound and I need to lead. So she moves back to the compound in 1922 and tries mm. to direct it from her bed. But Grace kind of overrides things like Anna yeah. will say something. Grace will kind of present it as something else. And then um, in March 16, 1922, they have an elaborate 80th birthday party, and they invited 200 of Jerusalem's most elite uh, to come to Anna's birthday party. By this time, Grace is fully in charge of the colony, mm-hmm. and Anna begins to decline very uh, quickly. And Jacob, her adopted son, that Sephardic Jew, he's at her side doing all her correspondence, and he won't leave her. By June, she's incoherent and delusional. So they're like, okay, this is it. But they have a doctor because oh now gosh. they're allowed to have doctors, right? Oh, yes. Okay. And he diagnoses diabetes. Oh. And he puts her on a diet of oatmeal and butter every two hours. And guess what? Oh, gosh. She recovers. Her mind is clear. Wow. Um, and she announces to the American colony that it's time for all of them to return to America. 
Whoa. So they're supposed to be getting ready for this. But just a year later, you know, um, as they're making all these preparations, uh, in 1923 of June, she falls asleep at a meeting. And she kind of is startled and wakes up and she says, the resurrection is near when we will have the dead back among us. And then she kind of falls asleep again and she wakes up and she begins to confess all of her sins. And she just is saying all these sins and all the things that she did wrong. Out loud to everyone. Out loud. Just out loud. And then she said, sin must be rooted out. And that's like the last thing she said, sin must be rooted out. And... March, let's see, March 16th, she looked like she was dead and in her sick bed, but she lingered there uh, the whole until April 17th, so almost a whole over a month. <laughs> and she's feverish and she's speaking only in Norwegian. Mm-hmm. And that's when she she dies. And Grace puts the American colony on the map, becomes even as it is today, it's no more for a restaurant. A lot of people go there to eat, but it served after that time as kind of a hotel. It was the hotel where if you were American, you wanted to stay at the American colony because it was inside the city. It's still there. Hmm. I, I asked our guide, will you take me to the American colony? He's like, why would you want to go there? <laughs> Anna Spafford was not a good woman. I'm like, yes, because <sighs> yeah, I read wow. this book on her. Quite a reputation. I really, I really want to know. Yes. And again, among the Jews, Bertha and Grace are not really popular because they felt like they were complicit with the British. Mm, and so yeah. that's part of oh, it. Oh, the po- politics, when you start merging all of that, right. oh boy. Right. And yeah. then they ended up, Bertha and Grace, they ended up selling the colony and going to America. Okay. So they ended the rest of their lives in America. But that's, that's I think, Anna Spafford as strange and everything. And like I said before, she's a cautionary tale, but she's yeah. really a woman worth knowing. Yes, Absolutely. Even because of, yeah, sometimes it's almost sticks with your you more when you hear about something that somebody did like that was off. It's like, oh, I don't want to go that direction. You know what? Isn't that true? Yeah. That we all really need to check ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, check our heart. I was reading this morning in Jeremiah chapter 17 where our heart is deceitful and desperately yes. wicked. And yet the problem with the people in Judah and Jerusalem is they believe that the dictates of their heart should be the driving force and the deciding force. Mm. They they overly trusted their hearts mm. instead of trusting God. Isn't that what we see with Anna? Yes. I think that's pretty clear. Yes. <laughs> the just... heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Mm. There's so much more that I could say. I mean, I was just like scraping the top of the iceberg. Again, it was <laughs> from a book called The American Priestess. I was telling Jasmine about, in fact, when I read the book, Jasmine's like, don't tell me anymore. Don't tell me anymore. Wait, I love that hymn. Yes. Oh, no. But, <laughs> but, the hymn but I'm is, glad to know. The hymn is still a fantastic Absolutely. Hymn. And that just shows the grace of God. God can use anyone. I mean, look in the Bible. He used King Cyrus, the Persian king. He wasn't, you know, this wonderful, godly. Yes. yes. Yeah. But God can and still work. And he even said to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were the, yes. the most uh, wonderful mm-hmm. or righteous, better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I chose you to because I needed someone to use to yep. show my glory to. And <laughs> that's I, that's how I kind of feel like God almost used the Spaffords in spite of themselves. Yeah. You yeah. Know, even with all their naughtiness, God still used them and brought out this beautiful song and mm-hmm, the American mm-hmm. colony, which right. is again there today. Yeah. So anyway, Amazing. Anna Spafford <laughs> is definitely a woman worth knowing. Wouldn't yes, you say? indeed. Absolutely. And maybe you have a woman worth knowing. We're going to be doing a Christmas edition pretty soon. And we want to feature 
um, all moms because Mary mm-hmm. was a mother. So we've decided that we're going to you know take a break during December and do a special feature on just moms. Yeah, worth yeah. knowing. Yes, definitely. And we have had a couple letters come in as well of of women uh, that. Have you, that you guys have uh, contributed. And so yes. we want to be able to share that as well. So yeah, the Christmas Send will be them fun. to a women at uh, women.cccm.com. Mm-hmm. And that's it for Women Worth Knowing. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.